Hey listeners, welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy and I'm your host for today's episode. We're gonna get into the episode momentarily, but I gotta remind you that the AC Conference is back in 2023. This time you'll have two opportunities to take in the conference. The first one will be in Saskatchewan at Briarcrest College and Seminary on February 10th to the 11th. The second conference will be March 3rd to the 4th in Abbotsford, BC at Northview Community Church. Super early bird tickets are already available online, so make sure you head to conference.apologeticscanada.com to reserve yours today. Secondly, Apologetics Canada is right in the midst of our giving campaign. We are so excited to announce that we were given a $100,000 matching goal. That means that whatever we're able to raise with your help, we have the opportunity of potentially raising up to $200,000 towards this ministry. So we humbly ask that you would prayerfully consider partnering with Apologetics Canada in this venture. We have a variety of ways for you to give. You can head to apologeticscanada.com donate for all the details. Thank you so much already for those of you who've been supporting us, whether it's been coming to an event or financially supporting us. It all matters and it only helps us increase the opportunities to give good reasons for people to hope in Jesus. That's all for me. Enjoy the episode. Hey listeners, welcome to the AC Podcast. I'm here today with the full team, Andy, Steve, and Wes. And today we're going to be having a little bit of a conversation based around technology, which is pretty fitting because this episode was actually recorded for the first time on a new platform that we're trying out because we're hoping to get onto YouTube. Well, not hoping, that is the goal of AC, to get our podcast on YouTube. <laughs> but uh, if it doesn't work out, then you'll never know this it happened. It was a disaster. Because <laughs> <laughs> we should probably let people know, Troy, that we are moving the podcast. The podcast will remain on its normal platform, but it's yeah. now going to also be on YouTube. Yep, that is the goal. Um, essentially, I mean, it really is because that's where young people are, right? Not just... It's interesting you should say that because not just young people. I was talking to somebody, uh, an older person. I won't be too specific in case they listen to this. <laughs> but they they like to, you know, they like to, a lot of people, because we've heard from different listeners, haven't we? They've said, yeah. hey, listen, I actually like listening to podcasts on YouTube. Can you guys please put your podcast on YouTube? So we've right. been listening. You're right, though, Troy. Sorry to interrupt you. Young people are more and more on YouTube. Yeah. you're No, but you're you're correct. There is a lot of people that are... Uh, I think the the visual component to things is just kind of it's just another net, really, you know, that for for catching people and and using it as an evangelistic tool, and and so in relation to the conversation we're having today, it sometimes can be such a labor of love for churches and ministries to want to upgrade to technology one because the financial strain, but two, you kind of got to admit that you don't know anything and you got to learn it. That's the learning curve always makes things pretty difficult. That's definitely been the case with this, you know, and it's not cheap either. You got to actually put in the work because we got to find a platform that can record it. You got to figure out lighting. You got to figure out how you're going to film the thing. It's it's actually a lot more involved than I would have thought. And I do find that a lot of the times when we see creativity we see the end result of it, but not the work that goes into it. Because think about it, like Michelangelo, right? David, like everybody knows what David looks like, but nobody really has any picture of like what it was like for Michelangelo to actually sit down with this big chunk of marble and get into work, right? And so, yeah, there's a lot of that. And when we say know what David looks like, we mean what Michelangelo oh. thought David <laughs> looked like naked. <laughs> to be yes, specific. that's right. Very specifically naked. <laughs> You know, I, I have so many thoughts. As a, a white European. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think this is an interesting segue, though, into what we wanted to talk about, because if you've been to any uh, of these old churches, if you've been to the Vatican, uh, what you see is a lot of effort put into the aesthetics, a lot yeah. of money and time and resources put into the building, which is really interesting because we've we've pendulum swung hard away from that. Um, and particularly I remember in the nineties, you know, it was, it was kind of like this movement where you just put as little money into the building as possible. And it was purely about functionality and it was almost like a badge of honor. It was like how old your carpet was. 
Right, 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 right. The way I found (laughs) is you can always tell what a church is like cared the most about depending on what they spent their very specifically what they spent their money on. And so like the church I grew up didn't spend a lot of time on the actual aesthetic, but our sound system had to be, you know, we're always finding the best do not, maybe not the best, but like trying to get the best sound out of the house, whether it was the location of where the speakers were, how they were mounted. And even down to the set, like we made this big old sound booth, but the floors were trash. (laughs) I was, I was having this conversation this week, actually, with a, with a pastor who I met up with earlier in the week because he'd started only a couple of years ago at this church. And he specifically said, I'm purposefully trying to move all of, you know, whether it was the youth room or the sanctuary or some of these other rooms. He said they were designed to be what he called nightclub church, where it's like they painted the walls and the roof black and they had these big spotlights. And he's like, I can't stand nightclub church. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so it's interesting. Yeah, the like the aesthetic and architecture of modern churches has really taken even a number of iterations in our lifetime, going from you know, That's true, a bland to almost like a movie theater. Well, it's interesting. The church that uh, I started to attend. One of the biggest controversies that I remember was uh, whether or not to get a projector, you know, a digital projector. Because wow. when, if you remember when they first came out, they were expensive. They're like $10,000. Yep. And it was like, right. should we, you know, should we make that investment? It is interesting, Wes, as you're saying, I have seen this switch that has taken place. Because you're right, it's kind of moved even within our own lifetime. That now there's a lot more effort, a lot more money put into that. And I, I do think it's interesting that young people in particular, the aesthetic matters. And, and yeah. from from their perspective, if you really care about something, you'll put effort into it. You will, you know, take the time to make sure that it's painted, that, you know, walls are fixed and right. carpets are changed and seats are, are mended sort of thing. But for a long time, that was not the case. And I've been to some very interesting churches that were just dilapidated. And I think there is something to say of when you go to, say, Europe and you see like the architecture of these uh, cathedrals and the just the communication of reverence that they have that, you know, let's be honest, a lot of modern churches, unless they're kind of reflecting back to that era of this kind of, uh, you know, looking back to classical architecture, what have you. Um, they 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 don't communicate that nearly to the same degree. Yeah, I uh, as many of our listeners know, I grew up Roman Catholic, right? So we grew up with a very kind of a um, intentional sort of heavy sense of okay, this is sacred space. Once you're in the sanctuary, there's no idle chatting, there's no running around, there's especially where the altar is, you couldn't approach it out of that sense of reverence. And um, mm. and then when I met some very awesome Mennonite friends, and I started attending their church at the time, they were literally in a theater, right? Because they didn't have a building at the time, um, and there was it was very different. I mean, the music was different. Um, I mean, I'm like I, up to that point, I had not seen a guitar on the stage, right? And and the fact that there was a stage instead of an altar was different for me. Um, and, and then later, as I went on to Bible school, and for the first couple of years, I was actually a worship arts major. So my first year for this course, um, Philosophy of Worship, one of the assignments that we had to do was to visit different places of worship. So, you know, a Roman Catholic church, or a, and then you go to a, like a mosque, and then you go to a Buddhist temple. Now, Buddhist temple is very like visually striking, right? And then we w- walked into an Eastern Orthodox church in Vancouver, and there, no space is wasted, right? So there is something to be said about And, and it, I think Wes is right there. It, it carries with it a, a kind of a sense of reverence. There is This is holy in the sense that this is set apart. This is not just something, not the kind of space that you just kind of do whatever with. It has to be purposeful. It has to be intentional. I want to throw something out there to you guys to hear what your thoughts are on this one. When I first came to Canada, I started volunteering at a church. And I think this is always a balancing act between 
you know, how should I approach the sanctuary of a church? Is, is it sacred space? Can you run around? You know, can we play hide and seek in there? You know, can we play Nerf gun wars, you know? And, and, and then I remember I was at this one church where they actually made uh, a haunted house in the sanctuary. And for wow. the neighborhood people to come through and stuff. So, <laughs> and I, I remember thinking, I think they done gone too far, you yeah. know, here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what, how would you, how would you guys feel about that? Oh my gosh. I see this is, this, this is the kind of thing that comes up every single Halloween. Like by the time listeners have heard this, I think we're committing to just about two weeks since Halloween. This is why my church had a like the Hallelujah party, or as Andy was saying, the <laughs> the Harvest party. I think Hallelujah party was way more trendy. But um, anyways, <laughs> it's it's like there's got to be a line, and I think this is where <laughs> like I think this is where we started really seeing the seeker friendly churches. Like, oh, we that's just, why they did it. Yeah, and it just became, and the excuse was evangelism, but without getting it getting too deep, it was like emphasis on evangelism, but transformation was very light because people felt comfortable, too comfortable. Church in and of itself, and people can disagree. I don't think you should feel comfortable every single Sunday in as far as where your soul is at. I think whether you've known Jesus for like ten years or more or you're a new Christian, there should always be this unsettling that causes you to check yourself. But if we're like, hey, let's let's hold a haunted house at the, at the sanctuary. On the Sunday after Friday, we had young people at the altar crying out to God. That won't blur the lines. I, <laughs> that's, a, that's a red flag for me. Well, and, and I think there is something to say about the, the space and how we view it in in terms of like reverence. I mean, we call it a church sanctuary. You, the word sanctuary comes from the same root as, you know, sanctified, to be set apart. And I think, you know, there's a, a careful balance. There's nothing magical or special about the church sanctuary in the same way that I think we could talk about the sacraments. You know, there's nothing uh, magical about baptism. And yet, there's a reason why those sort of ordinances are given and it's not nothing. But it's not, you know, this magical take away your sins thing either. And so uh, even just looking back at the Old Testament, 1 Kings 6, when it talks about what the temple of God should look like, there's a lot of effort and detail put into every little bit in order to make it set apart, really, in order to make sure that it's communicating something. And even if you think about the Middle Ages, a lot of the images of Bible stories that were put on the walls of the church or on the stained glass, there was an attitude about that, but it was also, you know, evangelistic in the sense of people were mostly illiterate. And so how do you learn about Bible stories where they're on the walls? And so, but that still requires a lot of effort that goes into it and a communication of something, right? And so I think it's a tricky balance and and you don't want to go one way or the other. I think there is something to be said about, I mean, in those days, there was very much a sense of the building that you walk into says a lot about the person who lives there, right? And so we even have that sort of a sense today, although we would probably think of it more in terms of wealth kind of a thing. Because if you walk into um, a really wealthy neighborhood, you walk into this house where that has this giant doorway it you it kind of says something about the kind of person that lives there as opposed to when you walk into a home that's really dilapidated and falling apart everywhere and i think there was a sense that we don't have that as much today but especially back in the ancient times and the medieval times one of the reasons they really put a lot of effort into building the temple and building cathedrals i mean for one for the temple there was very clear instructions from the lord but even with cathedrals and, and different and churches, it was about, okay, what does this building say about the person to whom this building is dedicated? Right. Now, I want to I wanna push back now the opposite way and tell me what you guys feel about mm-hmm. this with what, what you're saying, Steve, and just with regards, and, and Wes, you know, because I, I've seen a lot of, of churches. I've, I've, gone through a lot of Europe and done the whole um, church tours, if you will, uh, you know, and what I find fascinating is how few of them are used. 
most of these churches are tourist sites and are in fact no longer in service. And so when I walk into these churches, my heart's often heavy because I'm thinking this church, although beautiful to look at and a fun tourist stop, this, this has become an idol. And because it became an idol, I would argue, you know, you can push back on this. It was never updated. It was never changed. It became, it became a piece of artwork. It didn't become this function to be used as a church. It became a piece of artwork that, that remained this piece of artwork. And because of that, I just can't help but feel like so many churches, they, they died because I, I feel like they lost sight of what they were meant to be. All right, so I just threw that out there, a little bomb gone off there. Yeah. So I, I could say more, but I'll stop. You guys feel free to take a swing of that. Do you disagree, agree, or somewhere well, I, in between? <laughs> I, I definitely think I'm, uh, I'm in agreement in, to a certain degree where I wonder if the reason they became just pieces of art is because the church actually lost its, its influence in that community. Maybe they never were really evangelizing. Maybe they're, they never really were trying to reach the lost per se in the sense that we're going to come out of this beautiful structure. We're going to bring you in here because when you step foot into this place, all of this is to the glory of God. It'll radically transform you. And I think as technology advanced, people were like, yeah, well, I'm no longer uh, impressed with tapestries and you know paintings on the walls and things like that. I can actually just look at my phone or watch a movie at home. I mean, I don't think you're wrong, Andy, but like I you think are. you <laughs> might be being a little bit overly simplistic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> overly simplistic with the historical setting of what was going on with a lot of the churches in Europe, because the European Enlightenment had a big background to it, where literally during the French Enlightenment period, they took out all the religious icons from the churches and they literally set up an altar to reason in um, Notre Dame Cathedral. And there's a whole kind of historical setting to that, which really started in the Reformation when the Protestant reformers, you know, kind of cut ties with the governmental structures and the overreach and opened the door to things like religious tolerance uh, and that type of thing, which kind of pushed to its ultimate conclusions in places like Germany and France and um, uh, Switzerland, where, you know, the birthplaces of the Protestant Reformation ended up being the most liberal places. Um, and I think part of the trickiness of that is that where I think you're correct is that they became, the churches became so internally minded to a certain degree that like you were saying, Troy, you need to come in here rather than the church being the door being open to the world, the world needed to come into the church. And, but I think there was a whole political and sociological situation that was going on behind the scenes that kind of were the nails in the coffin that eventually led to these buildings. Because we see it here. Um, there are these very beautiful buildings in my neighborhood, which are being turned into condos. Very beautiful old churches. I mean, old in retrospect to Canada. They're not European old, they're Canadian old. <laughs> but um, and they're being basically gutted and they keep the frame and they turn them into condos. There are at least four churches within walking distance of where I am right now that are no longer churches and are now condominiums. So mm -hmm. I think part of that is when the, the church loses its fervor to being able to not reflect the culture back to it, but affect the culture, then it does just become, you know, the whitewashed tombs that Jesus was criticizing the the um pharisees for being well like because here's what i'm saying too like think about it like this if you have a church that starts up in the 1960s for example starts up in the 1960s but they do not upgrade anything right they leave everything the way it was originally you get to a point where you're in the year 2020 and that now becomes a museum i mean you would pay money to go walk into you know, this building that is from the 1960s and it feels like you're kind of being warped into time to, you know, and go, you're going into the 1960s. I mean, I have walked into so many of these churches 
that that's the appeal, right? You're going, you're yeah. stepping back in time. It's like, it's like a time machine thing. And I just think to myself, I, what, what, what was the mindset that you never updated this, that this, mm. that this was a 1960s church, right? Like that never got updated that I just can't help but think that you idolized it in that sense. Uh, or, I mean, put, feel free to push back about it. I'm I, just trying to think of what would be the mindset that you would do that. I think some of it is just complacency. I think some people are just fine with the status quo and, you know, there are other things to worry about. And so don't worry about updating the building because the building's working. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't think people loved sixties architecture so much that they were like, this is, this is going to stand the test of time. You know, it's going to be, I don't know that uh, wood grain. St. Paul's <laughs> cathedral and fake wood grain in the back of the sanctuary. Like, it could be. I'm not saying that it isn't. Uh, I think people, more often than not, though, they just become apathetic and complacent with what could be poured into more and communicate effort. So I guess this is my point, though, then with the modern church, it, it, it must it, it has to be a balancing act between we need to care about our facility, like what you're talking about, Steve. But yet, it's almost like you can't care too much, though, about your your facility, or you make it into an idol that can never be changed or touched. And before you know it, it becomes a museum. And that's the whole, you know, the old sort of um, struggle, right, with idolatry, always taking something that is good, that's finite good, but then you try to make it the ultimate thing. And so there's always that tension of, okay, there's something good in here. There's a purpose for this. There is... But then again, yeah, you elevate it to such an extent now this this is the thing instead of to whom this was dedicated. Same old struggle. Yeah, it's and I think that gets back to kind of what I was saying is if the church doesn't know its outward function, then it's not gonna feel like it needs to quote unquote keep up with the times because it doesn't care what the times are. You know, it's it's it cares about this is the way it is. This is the way it's been. And I think this is why the church in a lot of ways is such an afterthought where people are, are upgrading their homes and they're doing different uh, changes and aesthetics to their home because, well, my, I would like to upgrade this in the house or whatever, which again, in and of itself isn't wrong, but then we show up at our churches and I think there's this level of reverence for the meeting place that the church is that, is, that has been largely lost. Just with regards to that, Troy, I remember, I don't know if you guys have encountered this, but I was doing a speaking engagement where I went to this one church and they had old, it was like I went to a hoarder's home. They had old pews that were out in the parking lot, like kind of next to the church that they just hadn't bothered to take to the dump. Uh, I walked into this church that the paint was, was all, you know, peeling. There were holes in the walls. Uh, doors didn't work properly. Uh, I mean, that there were literally holes in the carpet. And I just remember thinking, man, like I, I, I'd never been in a church that cared so little uh, about mm. their facility. But I also just remember thinking, is there nobody here that knows how to do drywall? I mean, can, can nobody, can nobody paint? But it also, it just communicated a lot to me, at least as an outsider walking in going, I, I can't help but question like what's going on here that you care so little about, about this, this building yeah. and the use of this building to serve this community. Yeah. Like someone's home. You wouldn't deal with that like with your own home. Well, I mean, maybe you would. Maybe some people would. Let's be let's be fair and let's be honest. Some people, that's just kind of the way it goes. But I know for me, like our house could be messy every day of the week with our kids, with our family life, whatever. But if I know that I'm hosting somebody, mm. I think the average person, I don't think you're, yeah, I don't think you're being fake to then clean up your house. I think it's saying the people that are coming here are worth me tending to my home. The people that are coming here, the experience from the moment they walk in the door to when they leave, it's 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 that hospitality because for the sake of relationship. Because if you are someone coming over and say you're discipling them and it's a young whatever, they're going to walk into your home and if your home isn't been taken care of, I'm not saying you polished the floors or anything, but if it hasn't been cleaned up, what is that person potentially going to say how you feel about them? Like, oh, you didn't care enough to like at least put the garbage off the floor or whatever. Like, 
And I think there is a sense of, again, like, to whom is this building dedicated, right? Because if you treated it like the house of God, let's say, because I mean, uh, the the Jewish temple was certainly considered that because that's where the presence of Yahweh dwelt among the people of Israel. So there's the Holy of Holies and all that kind of stuff. So in a sense, this was really a, a house of God. And I think um, the church kind of carried on that kind of Jewish roots or tradition maybe. And so whenever you had a building, this was more like, you know, this is a meeting place between God and his people kind of thing. That, that's why a lot of churches, like for example, Eastern Orthodox churches have this structure where it's shaped like a cross and there's a dome up top, right? And the floor is um, kind of rectangular or square, or what, whatever it is. And one priest actually explained to me that this is representative, symbolic of the fact that this is a meeting place between God and his people because that dome is, it, it's meant to represent a sphere, right? It has no beginning, no end, representing God. And then the floor that's rectangular, it has lines that have beginnings and ends. So it represents mortality. And so this is where, and so I think today when we walk into a church, especially say a Protestant evangelical church, we don't really have that sense of, oh, this is the house of God. This is a meeting place between God and his people. It's more a gathering place for the churchgoers where they, it serves a particular function of we all gather together uh, on Sunday to take a couple of hours out of our day uh, to sing together and to listen to a sermon. And everything is geared towards facilitating that, but less of a sense of, okay, this is a, a space that's kind of set apart for encountering mm. God. But just, yeah. just quickly, just want to push back though, Steve, on what you're saying and just seeking some clarity here in that we don't see though the church is god's home unless unless you do steve but i sure don't i i, I no, think that's... that that we're we are the home of god i i don't i don't yeah. think the church is the holy of holies no that's that's what i'm saying though is that how you view the facility has a certain impact on what that facility is facility is going to look like well and i i hope the uh just to to hedge our bets, I hope the the listeners not hearing that you know oh those apologetics Canada guys they won't go into a church unless it's you know Troy can eat off the floors um, beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I, what we're trying to communicate is that there's something about intentionality that goes a long way, yep. and I think yep. it's somewhere in between you know the uh, older. Western cruciform churches that Steve is describing and the kind of Protestant tradition, which said, okay, well, you know, we see all that stuff, but that's all, you know, smells and bells and it's not really doing anything for us. We need to focus on the preaching and and the word of God. And so, you know, some of the early reform churches would face the pews towards the wall so that the thing, the only thing you could focus on was the word of God. And you just listen to the preacher while you start at the wall. I mean, that might be going a little bit too far, right? <laughs> but, but I think it's, it's somewhere in between and just saying, you know, we, we respect this space as somewhere where the, the body of Christ comes together in a physical location because the church is both the people and the building. That's a reality. It is. I mean, we talk some, you know, we can be kind of pithy and say, you know, the church is not the building, it's the people. And that's true, but we still go to the building and that, that makes a big (laughs) difference. Right. And, um, the word synagogue, synagogues in, in Greek operated in that same way. It was both the people that would group together and the building. I mean, the word church means like ecclesia, it means congregation. And so I think in if if someone is sitting there listening to this and thinking, oh, you know, those those apologetics out guys are pretty stuck up on whether the carpet is in clean order. Um, it's I don't think it's as much that as it is, you know, how we understand what we're reflecting, what what we're communicating about what we think about this place 
and how much we should respect exactly what Troy was talking about with like someone coming to your house. And if you got, you know, it's a complete and utter mess, you think, oh, well, that's at minimum, that's kind of unfortunate. But at most, you know, you, you kind of you clean up in order to communicate something. And and, both things. And and here's what I'm trying to say, though, Wes, with regards to what you're communicating. Uh, Perhaps what you're communicating by caring for your facilities is that you that you love people. Right. I mean, because even when you're hosting people, that's actually a sign of like you're you're being a good host. Right. You're caring for that person. Not that you're trying to idolize the building, of course, because I think that that's one of the things Jesus challenged the Jews with 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 temple. When he cleansed the temple, he's saying this was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations, right? This was this this was meant to bless people, but you've made it into an idol. Uh, yeah, and and so I, I, I that's the that's ultimately I think the the balance that's that's happening here. Of course, caring for the facilities as well is that you're you're showing your reverence for the Lord, but but not because you think that this is the where the Lord lives, sort of thing, as yeah. the Jews understood the temple. I would love to raise a bit of a question for you guys then, because I think of um, there's a there, like there's a church in, in Vegas that's on the Vegas Strip. So like they're at the end of the Vegas Strip. Now, I can already I would I could already say, like, as I've had numerous conversations with people that have they have issues with churches, with the lights, with the the, the light shows, smoke the smoke machines, the pyrotechnics yeah. and all those sorts of things. This church has all of that. And the reasoning for it is we are a church on the Vegas Strip. Like they're competing with like the Bellagio Hotel. You know what I mean? Like they're not competing with other churches necessarily. They're competing with these casinos that are bit that are competing against every other casino. And and it's very very technology driven. It's very like bright and vibrant. And so their church, they made this shift to like like their Easter presentation at the end of the worship song, pyrotechnics went off and then the pastor came on and prayed and preached. Now I would, I would love a speaking engagement there first and foremost, let me put it out there. (laughs) But, but I, but I wonder like, do you, would you guys say that, that that's still too far or are there situations where context matters? I think you're walking a pretty fine line um, because I think if the church is trying to compete with the world, then what is the church reflecting? Is the, retru- is the church just refracting back what the world is wants? Because in one sense, I understand it. And in another sense, I think it begs the question, is the church for the body of Christ to encourage people to be evangelists or is the church first and primarily for evangelism? And I would argue it's for the former, not the latter, that the church is for the Christian. The church is for the Christian first and an encouragement for those people to go out and be evangelists. Not necessarily that the pastor is an evangelist, although he's going to evangelize to his congregation. And so I think it's a tricky question because I understand where it's coming from in terms of being all things to all people. But it does it does beg the question of, what is the purpose and intention of ecclesiology, the doctrine of church practice and function? Yeah, I think of, uh, for example, when the church spread to different regions around the globe, right? Churches looked different. Like I, I was just watching, I happened to see like a clip of this one really old church in say Norway or Iceland I mean, they they looked quite different. And so there is something to be said about contextualization, right? When you go into a certain culture, and that's one of the strengths of uh, Christianity is that it adapts to different cultures. See, one of my concerns about churches looking more and more like the the culture around them, we've seen the impact of that. Um, One of the... Articles that we read, I forget, I think it was from McLean's, Andy, a few years ago, about this guy uh, wrote about how it was theologically conservative churches that were actually doing really well, and ones that were theologically very, very liberal were really struggling to retain membership and all those kinds of things. And one of the reasons for that is because these theologically very, very liberal churches, they were looking more and more, ever more like the culture around them. 
they were adopting all of their values, all of their things. And so then at some point, you know, people are going to think, why should I go to the church to get what I can from the culture in general, right? Why should I give up my Sunday morning, you know, those kinds of things. And so I think there is that tension between the two. I just to just to just be a bull in a china shop and just break a bunch of stuff. <laughs> uh, I I honestly I struggle with this Troy because, and I can't help but just try. I kind of withhold judgment on a lot of these where I'm like I don't know. I feel like I'd have to live there, know the situation to be able to speak yeah. into it. Because let me just break some stuff real quick. Like because at the same time, man, you know a lot of our hymns were put to bar tunes and a lot of our songs were actually contextualated to to the culture uh that actually communicated better truthfully uh i i would think although some would still champion gregorian what is gregorian. that yeah gregorian, gregorian chanting. chanting for churches but but then also you know when we think about light shows and smoke machines in churches that's actually not progressing that's actually going backwards uh in many ways we churches used to have smoke machines they just didn't call it smoke machines it's called incense that they would walk the through and they would swing that incense and the smoke would oh. fill and then they would also have i know tr- Wes on, is fired up but i'm not done breaking stuff tr- Wes. then they would also <laughs> have their um light shows but we wouldn't call it light shows, right? Or laser lights. We would call it stained glass. And the way that the light would come through the stained glass and would hit the, the, the incense and the smoke. And we I'm would meet right now. <laughs> I told Bye. you I got to break some stuff, but Andy. we would make that aesthetic. Okay. Wes, go for it, man. He can't handle it no more. Get that bull out of here. Difference? Yeah. Get, get it out of here. Uh, I got my whip. Um, I think <laughs> the main difference would be that that is not a reflection of the entertainment culture that existed in that day. Those were things that I think were actually far more theologically oriented than the smoke and light show that already might be in the casino that you're trying to compete with. Because the plan and organization of spaces, say something like along a horizontal axis, was trying to communicate the upward, uh, like looking up towards God, the vertical height, the awesome dizzying interiors of cathedrals that was trying to evoke the theology of God's transcendence and omnipotence. And the same thing I think works for lighting, like the skylights and the illumination, particularly over the altars at the back of the wall of the daylight, that was trying to communicate you know, they were sometimes called living walls because they were showing the light that shines into the darkness. And so those things were not a reflection of the entertainment culture around them, but they were actually quite different and had theological kind of uh, presuppositions to them that existed behind the scenes. So I don't know if I would say that's analogous. You're saying context matters then. So it could be that a pers- that a church could use a smoke machine for the right purposes. Yeah, and I think that's entirely possible. And and I think that there might even be uh, an appropriate instance of when and where to use that. Um, I I don't think smoke machines in and of themselves are bad or inappropriate or whatever. I think, though, if our goal is entertainment, we see the end result of the entertainment youth culture in the early 2000s. That's, you know, yeah. what I grew up in. Um, yeah. That's what the, the youth groups were in. And ultimately what that gave me was exactly what you you were saying before andy all my friends i shouldn't say all of them a good portion of my friends who i grew up with in the church setting basically came to the end result of well i could go to youth group and get pizza or i could go to my friend's house and get pizza i'm not really getting anything from going to youth group and i have a lot more fun with my friends when i get pizza and you know sometimes they have other stuff that they're not going to give me at church and so i think it was it was lacking something, and I will hand it over to Troy, but um, I, I, I'm actually seeing a lot of young people who come from kind of a more empty Protestant background, a sort of a non-denominational background, which kind of floats in terms of church history. They don't really know and they can't place them. Going to things like converting to 
Eastern Orthodoxy or Roman Catholicism because there's seems to be at least a face value or Anglican. Yeah. Yeah, more of a connection to something that's better. And they're kind of done with what they see as the shallowness of the church culture. And so they're not even converting to something that they're really convicted is true. They're just looking for something that that seems and appears more substantial. And see, my pushback with this then is if we're on one hand, we're saying like, okay, now the church is starting to look like the world, but we celebrate video series like The Chosen because the filming quality is getting closer and closer to that in which we see in Hollywood, on Netflix. Like The Chosen series could... I would the, not be or surprised. The acting quality, <laughs> the, the acting yeah. quality alone, right? Like we, I remember, and I'm gonna say them, like the, the movies, like Fireproof. I remember the movies, like <laughs> The Blind Side. I remember He's naming names. <laughs> I'm naming names, man. Like I think that speaks to intentionality more so than nah, it does about reflection of the world. I don't think so because what yeah, I gotta we're get doing off the with, West train on this one because what we're doing with technology <laughs> is we're like, okay, what is the world doing? The reason people are more watching it now is because it looks like the world's standard, the standard the world has set for movies and video. And so if we're all of a sudden okay with that, like you look at all of the comments, you look at the way people respond to the acting, they're like, man, this is top quality because it looks like the world's quality. But then when it comes to our church, which is I think another... it just looks like good quality. I don't know if it's yeah, the world's I, quality. I'm going to have to agree with Wes on that. I think we're just saying it's good quality. Yeah. Uh, I don't think yeah, I don't think I you think, could say okay this is a different quality than say Christian quality. I don't think there's secular say, quality and and I don't but know. I I think for the the church there's a reason that the church is different because it's specifically the edification of pouring into the saints and being under the word and con- being under the conviction and the word of God in those settings. True, but I still think that our standard if people are were I think we can get into semantics because I think the church if we're willing to admit it, our standard of good quality is not a Christian film. It has not historically been Christian films. I, I hear what you're saying. But I and, think that's because the church culture lost a lot of that. I think we had a monopoly on the arts and culture at a certain point in time, and we let that slide the in the pursuit of other things. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think the culture started to uh, take preeminence on that. But there's this great Martin Luther quote that the Christian cobbler doesn't make shoes with little crosses sewn into uh, the bottom of the shoe, but makes good shoes that are good quality for the glory of God. And so I think, you know, when, when we think about how to operate Christianly in the society, it's because we want to do things excellently because that's a form of worship, whether that's film or not. For sure. For sure. And, And when you have something like the chosen series, I mean, it is a show. Right, that's what it is, and so you want to produce the best quality because it would be odd, in a sense, right, um, for you to. The, the frame is different when you're in a church service, let's say, and you're bringing in all these different um, technology things like smoke machines and all of these things. Um, the frame seems to be different. This is <clears throat> not meant to be a concert, and sometimes we kind of turn it into that. Um, but with a with a TV show like The Chosen, I mean, it is a show, so we would expect to see good quality TV show. Does that make sense? Like, it, I I think of it in terms of frames, like what what the setting is, what the purpose of it is. Like, it, it's almost like, in some ways, it doesn't quite feel like it fits. Um, let me throw out an example here, just a quick one, where I feel I get uncomfortable. Like, I know <laughs> I know this one speaker. I won't name names, Troy. But I know this one speaker that came out onto the stage riding a motorcycle, right? And I I just look at that and I go, I don't know, man. Like, that seems to be about you. And I I can't help but pointing in the wrong direction sort of idea. Well, and I think for something like The Chosen, say, the purpose is uh, commodification in the sense that you are being catered to because you're just kind of taking, it's an intake of information. Whereas church should be more than that. It should be the fellowship and the community of the believers. It shouldn't just be transactional. If you're showing up to church, listening to a sermon, seeing a couple songs, and then immediately booking it out of there, you're doing church wrong. 
I hate to say it, but you you should be in and amongst the life of the believers and be both giving and getting and serving and contributing. And it's not just about uh, what can I get out of this? Uh, you know, taking my spiritual ATM card and then swiping it and then, you know, leaving well, with something. Well, that what you're talking me. about, Wes, is Sunday to Sunday. Yeah, the in-between. Yeah, It's not just the Sunday. It yes. is the Sunday, but it's not just the Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and even if you look at somewhere like um, Hebrews 10.25, which is, you know, the the one that's often quoted with, you know, do we need to show up to a physical building where it says, uh, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. But I think the interesting thing about that is when you're at church on Sunday morning, are you encouraging one another? When you're sitting and listening to a sermon, are you encouraging one another? Well, not necessarily. And uh, when Troy listens, he does, man. I hear lots of amens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I'm I'm telling you, man. Like <laughs> what, what, what I'm <laughs> saying is that it's more. It's more than just the yeah. intake of the sermon. It, yes. It's it's the daily grind of living the life with fellow believers that can happen in a microcosm on Sunday morning, and it should. I, I agree with you, but it should also be happening throughout the week and all that. Man, <laughs> get out of here. No, I I, I agree. I, I totally agree. <laughs> So I, for those just listening, I, I have shown an image a couple of times here. You'd have to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I would, I, would agree, I would agree. Like, there is an aspect of it, too, where I think this is, this, if anything, would be my beef with church is when you just sit there as a consumer, right? But I think there's, a, there's something to be said about bringing your portion every, on Sunday and throughout the week. I like I'm I'm not like Andy says I'm not afraid to be expressive in church. I'm I will say amen. I will encourage the depending on like depending on the setting. I'm not going to be distracting, but like depending on the setting, I'm gonna I'm you're gonna get my amens. And I appreciate Troy and I. By the way, we're speaking in an event on Friday, and I don't know Troy if you noticed, but it is actually pretty responsive. Yes, like like crowd, and it's actually it's actually kind of nice though, right? It is. Like it, it, like there's this idea of you like pulling on the whoever is speaking. It, what it does is like because sometimes you you think that you're talking to blank faces, and it's like you you don't want that in 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 any setting in any capacity. Like you want someone as much as we may say like we're you know we we just did a podcast on humility. There's something to be said for <laughs> someone to come up to you after and say, "Hey, man, thank you so much for that." But I can say this even as an artist especially as an artist, if I'm going and I'm doing a concert and nobody moves while I'm doing the music and then afterwards they're like, hey, that was great. I'm going to be like, what? Like you, <laughs> you, like the show, the show in a lot of ways, you you get that from me, each other. And I'm just, like, we're not going to go down the road of like energy transfer and all that stuff, but there is an aspect of it. You thrive off of it. One thing that comes to my mind, Troy, is I, I, did, I gave this one sermon once where I came up on stage, I'm looking out in the crowd by the way, congregants, people in the crowd, yes, we can't see you. Every, every one of you. Every one of you. <laughs> and there was this guy, man, he was sleeping. He was full gone. Uh, and I'm like, the, I already, like, the sermon hadn't even started. I'm like, brother, I love you, man, but you need to get some sleep. Like, <laughs> you know, like, how long are you staying up at night? Like, yeah. That was one of the worst parts as a public speaker of the mask period that we went through. Oh, as yeah. a public speaker, I'm trying to get feedback Awful. from the audience. And if everybody's yeah. wearing a mask, it's it's very hard to gauge it. I mean, that aside, it's yeah, it's true. I can see your eyes, but there's only so much you could express with your eyes. You could be angry or you could be engaged. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> well, and I think that this, what you're talking about, Troy and Andy, can be done in different ways. Because I've seen clips of you in church, Troy. And one of the things I really appreciate appreciate about it is the kind of interaction and the energy and the communal feel that that has. And my church is very, very different than yours. <laughs> we we sing hymns and we have a cellist. Um, but at the same time, awesome. I, I think there's, uh, I think in a different setting, the hearing one another sing in the small sanctuary and that being far more intimate in that setting, I think I get out 
what I can only imagine is a similar, although not in in kind of a cookie cutter way, but a similar vibe of being with one another and feeling one another's energy and voice and that sort of thing. So I, I think it it's not necessarily that we want church to look exactly one way or exactly another no. way. I think no. it's far more, you know, are we operating as the body of Christ in the different ways and capacities that God has blessed us to be able to do? So I think what we're saying is context matters. Like we we were challenging this a little bit earlier, but context absolutely matters. And the line for that, I mean, AC is not the ones to draw the line. Like well, that is hard. It's a hard line to draw, right? Yeah. Maybe it's a con- maybe that's a constantly shifting line as you're trying to work that out, right? And yeah. the Lord's leading. And I would say context matters, and I think we're also saying intent matters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in a roundabout way, I'll, I'll, this is probably one of my last thoughts, but that your church should really look like your community, the community that they are in. It, if your church doesn't look like the, the, the people that are outside the doors and around the area and isn't serving them with intentionality or communicating or, or communicating with them, then I, I would say you're doing something wrong. I would like there, you often hear the term gentrification and gentrification is not a bad thing. There is nothing wrong with trying to take something that was run down, beaten up and restoring it but restored in such a way that it it serves the people that are there, but also doesn't allow people to just stay stuck. It was interesting. We had our leadership summit just recently, and maybe it was a good place to, to end on because this can be done well. You know, Detroit has been like the poster child of run down. You know, if you want to know what the United States is going to look like in an apocalypse sort of thing, you just go, go tour Detroit sort of thing, which you honestly, you could literally do to- tours, right? But the church came together and said, hey, we can do better and we can help in these communities and the significant difference that has that has been made, uh, in fact, through the church. It was a, just a beautiful example of what can happen when people get the intention right to communicate correctly in a way that gives glory to the Lord, but is also loving on your neighbor. And, and I think that that's the, the balance that, that we're constantly trying to strike in all of this. Hey, listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. We pray that you are challenged and encouraged. For those of you who may not know, the AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. So to check us out, feel free to head to www.apologeticscanada.com or you can follow us on all of our social media platforms at Apologetics Canada. But make sure to like and subscribe on all of your favorite streaming platforms. We are everywhere that you can listen to a podcast. But until next time, love God, love people. Bye for now.